Hi, welcome to Canna Confidential. I'm your host, Jewel Peter, and on this podcast, we discuss the state of the cannabis industry, as well as any insights we feel might be valuable to our listeners. So without further ado, we'll get to the content. Thanks for joining us. Hello, everyone. Jewel here, and I'm also here with Cheryl again. And today, before we get into the information that we want to share with you, we actually have a very special announcement. Today, we are going to introduce to you our cultivation. And our cultivation is Euphoria Cannabis. And our focus is really on wellness and how cannabis can be used um, in an alternative medicine sense to really increase the quality of life for a lot of people. So you can find out more information on our website, uh, which is euphoriacannabis.co, or you can send us a message and we'd be happy to have a conversation with you about the microcultivation. But uh, going forward, Canna Confidential, the podcast, will be affiliated with Euphoria Cannabis. So now we'll get into our information for today. And first, Cheryl, thank you for being here with us. Oh, my pleasure to be here. So as always, we're going to start with Canada, then move into the U.S., and then discuss any news globally. So coming out of Canada, we have a PR release from Organogram uh, discussing the fact that they are now going to be in Shoppers Drug Mart. Organogram Holdings, Inc., the parent company of Organogram, a leading licensed producer of cannabis, is pleased to announce it has secured a supply agreement with Medical Cannabis by Shoppers, the online medical cannabis platform by Shoppers Drug Mart Incorporated. This agreement reflects the company's shared commitment to offering Canadian consumers access to high-quality medical cannabis products. We are extremely proud to partner with shoppers and believe that our complementary approach to the medical cannabis market will offer the full strength of our combined national networks to Canadian patients. That's according to Tim Emberg, Senior Vice President of Sales and Commercial Operations at Organogram. We are pleased that we will now be able to offer medical cannabis patients across the country even greater access to our growing portfolio of high-quality products. Under the agreement... Organogram will provide shoppers with a wide range of products, including dried flour, oils, and other future derivative products as they become available. This agreement is for a three-year term subject to renewal for an additional two years. The future of cannabis is getting more and more clear, especially for those of us here north of the border in Canada. We knew that Shoppers was rolling out a cannabis purchase option uh, because we've seen the advertising in-store. And now we're seeing more and more details with this partnership with Organogram. What I find particularly interesting is the three-year term with the option to renew for two additional years, because that sort of paints the picture that shoppers isn't going to be exclusively supplying Organogram. There might be other options uh, in the future, and nothing in this PR release from Organogram has mentioned anything about an absolutely exclusive contract. So with cannabis being sold in pharmacies like Shoppers, uh, but specifically Shoppers because it has so many locations in small towns across Canada, as well as in all of the major cities, we're really seeing cannabis becoming a standard, uh, just something that is, is part of daily life here in Canada. And every day we're seeing more examples of cannabis becoming more mainstream, which is just par for the course when you have an industry that is uh, 
becoming more and more mature by the day. I think, um, <clears throat> Jewel, you have referenced shoppers a couple of times. And for the American listeners, it's the equivalent of getting a deal with CVS or Walgreens. It's a huge uh, uh, pharmacy chain. And for, uh, for any cannabis company to be affiliated with shoppers is a pretty big deal. So I'm, I think it's great that Organogram has uh, aligned themselves that way. Yes, and thank you for clarifying for our listeners who are in the U.S. Or if you happen to be uh, in Europe, another European equivalent might be Boots Pharmacy. Mm -hmm. So now we're moving on to our next article, which is also a news release. And it's discussing how LPs, which was licensed producers, but now has been changed to standard producers because LPs refers to all licensed producers, whether that's a standard producer with a million square feet or a micro cultivator with 2000 square feet. So the standard producers have partnered up in a retail brand uh, to sell their product. Canadian company Inner Spirits Holdings established a national network of retail cannabis stores under its Spirit Leaf brand, and today it announced that it achieved more than $29 million in system-wide retail sales and served approximately 740,000 customers in 2019. With 43 stores operating to start 2020 and with an additional location set to open, the company is well poised for future sales and revenue growth as a leading Canadian retailer in the recreational cannabis industry. In addition to the previously planned nine additional franchise locations, which the company anticipates opening in Alberta and British Columbia in 2020, Inner Spirit will also be pursuing expansion in other provinces, with the Ontario and Saskatchewan governments announcing late in 2019 that they are moving to an open licensing system. The company intends to apply for additional retail operator licenses in those provinces at the time applications are able to be submitted. Within the recent Alcohol and Gaming Commission of Ontario, the announcement that Ontario will be making changes to the allocation of cannabis retail licensing was a modification that will enable licensed producers, or standard producers, to own or control up to 25% of a corporation holding a cannabis retail operator license, an increase from the original 9.9%. Inner Spirit has been well supported by its strategic partnerships of standard producers, including Oxley Cannabis Group, Hexo Corporation, and Tilray Incorporated. With current LP, or SP, ownership sitting just above 25%, the company is working to adjust that percentage below 25%, as well as raise additional ca capital to support opening corporate-owned retail cannabis stores in Ontario and Saskatchewan if and when doing so is permitted under applicable laws and regulations. So Inner Spirit Holdings has seen a great profit from the retail side of the industry and obviously has plans to expand, not just in Alberta and BC, but also into Ontario and Saskatchewan. But what is going to go unnoticed by most consumers and others in the industry who are not directly impacted by the fact that Inner Spirit Holdings is partially owned by the standard producer is the fact that there's some conflict of interest here. And the retail licenses were supposed to be available for not standard producers. They were supposed to allow other people into the industry. And, and I think that 
standard producers should have the option to have a facility, but joining together to create a store like this and not necessarily being upfront with the consumers about the fact that they are standard producers uh, is just a little bit vague. It's a little too vague for me to be comfortable with it, I guess is what I'm saying. Do they want to be able to sell outside of provincial stores? Or do they just want to have their own brand? And why the need to partner with each other uh, as opposed to each one having their own retail option that's branded as their facility is? Either way, it just creates some ambiguity for the consumer who may be unaware that the cannabis they're purchasing is coming from a larger producer. Uh, it clouds the consumer's ability to make an informed decision. And I think that's really where I just feel like there's not enough clarity uh, with this collection of standard producers having a retail store where they supply all of the product. Um, if you're going to have a retail store, I feel like there should be some consideration that if you have three standard producers, then you should be required to have a variety of other producers as well, just because it's really capitalizing on multiple parts of the market. Cheryl, what do you think? I know that um, from my own application for sales, that you are not allowed to go over the 25%. So I find it interesting that it's Tilray, Hexo, and Oxley. So those three are representing 33 and a third percent. Somehow they've got to work that down under the 25. And I would suspect that you would see Tilray with its own store or Hexo with its own store and Oxley um, with their own stores. But the government has mandated that it ha the ownership uh, cannot be over 25% if you are a producer of cannabis. And I'm, I'm thinking that's probably why they've designed it that way. Well, I think they they are the 25. I think they're just over 25% at this mm -hmm, point. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that the, the fact that they have other people who are involved in the retail aspect, but to collectively, they are 25, just over 25%. Uh, but like you said, why don't they have their own stores? Why aren't they, why are they working together in this way? It just seems a little bit misleading for the consumer. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. But before you move on, I want to address the, uh, the fact that they had 740,000 customers with, what was the sales amount? 29 million. Now, 740,000 customers is pretty close to a million, and we only have 33 million people here in Canada. So, and, and take half of them out as children. That means you've got 15 million people, and 740,000 of them were customers in the first year of, um, of this group, spending $29 million. That, that's revenue that just came into the, to the flow, the tax off of that would have been great for the federal government and the provincial provincial governments as well. I think we've done the math on this and it works out to about 40 or $50 a person. Yeah, $40 a person. So if you take the tax out of that, then it's probably people making around a 20 to $25 purchase. And in my estimation, that would probably be a few uh, grams of dried flour. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, because the edibles weren't on, online yet. And pre-rolls would be more expensive and not necessarily as cost-effective. And that's a first year. Can you imagine what it'll be next year and the year after that? It's definitely going to be interesting for sure. And mm-hmm. I think that's... Uh, I'm very interested to see how this three-part partnership in a retail operation plays out, as well as to see um, how much the profits increase over this next year with edibles, as we discussed in the last episode, have been selling out in various provinces. So with those options available, how much more revenue are they going to see? Interesting stuff. So now we're going to move our conversation to the U.S. And we talked about the vaping crisis earlier in previous episodes, but now we have an article released directly from the CDC. And the reported use of THC-containing products from informal sources by most eValley, which is an acronym for e-cigarette or vaping product use associated lung injury patients, is important because vitamin E acetate has been detected in products obtained from these sources and has been associated with eValley. As part of the investigation into the nationwide outbreak, the FDA has conducted testing on products obtained from 73 E-Valley patients. 79% of them had at least one product test positive for THC. Among those, 78% had at least one product test positive for vitamin E acetate. A recent case control study found vitamin E acetate in the bronchial system and the fluid of said system of 94% of 51 eValley patients and in none of 99 healthy controls in the comparator group. In addition, an analysis of THC-containing products seized by law enforcement in Minnesota found no vitamin E acetate in 10 products seized in 2018 and 100% of products seized in 2019 contained the vitamin E acetate. So just to clarify, the informal sources referred to in the article means illicit or illegal sources. And the article also details that many of those affected were underage. This is what happens when things are not regulated. People are already aware of the many benefits of cannabis. So when they come up across an opportunity to try vaping cannabis as opposed to just smoking it uh, because they are under the impression that vaping is maybe less harmful, then they go ahead and try it. But the problem is they aren't completely aware of, first of all, all the effects of cannabis, the responsibilities of using cannabis and the requirements when you are using cannabis. But they're also not completely aware of whatever the other ingredients are because there's no regulations, there's no testing, there's no control happening over the industry. A legal lab would test this product and this issue wouldn't occur because the medical industry is already aware of the fact that vitamin E acetate has no place being in the lungs or bronchial system of anyone. But when you have an unregulated industry, people will put all sorts of additives into a product to make it look more interesting, make the product seem like there's more than there actually is, or to stretch the product. There's all sorts of things that can happen when things are not being regulated. And that's people are demonstrating that they want cannabis to be legal in multiple states. And in a lot of cases, it would prevent things like this from happening. If only whoever manufactured these vapes would have followed some sort of 
Health SOPs, guideline. some sort of something that would have them check with a lab before they manufactured this product and put it. I read an article not too long, well, maybe a year ago, about a, a guy that was uh, high flying now, but had started a, a vape business on his coffee table in his living room. And he and his, I think, girlfriend or wife were filling these cartridges right on their coffee table and then taking them out and selling them without any kind of testing or, or anything going on. It's just, it's amazing. And the public, the the purchaser is trusting that somebody is regulating this industry, but it's not yet. Well, because it's not legal. There's no one to regulate mm-hmm. it. And the fact that the a lot of the people affected by this are underage is even more of a symbol that there needs to be some more education other than don't do drugs because clearly it's not working. Right. So there needs to be a conversation about the responsible use of things, whether or not it's it's legalized or not. There needs to be a conversation about the responsibility that comes into play. Like you don't drink and drive a car. Everyone is educated on that and alcohol is legal. So whether or not cannabis is legal, there needs to be more conversation about using any substance responsibly. Yeah. Now we're going to switch the conversation up and discuss something that uh, could also be impacting the potential legalization of cannabis in the U.S. So China has been required to import more U.S. hemp. After years of being one of the United States' main sources of hemp imports, China will now be required to buy a lot more of the non-intoxicating cannabis crop from the U.S. under a new trade deal. Hemp, which was federally legalized under the 2018 Farm Bill, is one of a long list of agricultural products that China agreed to import on a large scale over the next two years as part of an international trade agreement that was signed on Wednesday. The parties acknowledge that trade and economic structural changes resulting from this agreement and from other actions being taken by China to open up its economy and improve its trade regime should lead to the improved trade flows, including significant increases in exports of goods and services to China by the United States and other countries. That's a direct quote from the article. While the deal didn't specify just how much more hemp China will be importing, the document states that the country must spend at least $12.5 billion, more than it did in 2017, on more than 200 agricultural commodities, including the cannabis plant, for the calendar year of 2020. The following year, it must spend at least $19.5 billion more. So in our last episode, we discussed how CBD is essentially the gateway of THC cannabis uh, because it's getting people more comfortable with the idea of cannabis without the fear of the psychoactive component. The fear that doesn't necessarily need to be there but is part of a stigma that has for a long time been associated with the plant. So hemp is also a gateway into legalizing cannabis and I'll explain what I mean by that. Hemp has so much potential to be useful in many different industries. Uh, People have used it as hemp bricks for building homes. You can make clothing out of it. I mean, the, the options are nearly unlimited, honestly. And as hemp is more widely accepted than cannabis with THC in it, people will learn about the benefits of hemp. Uh, and hemp does have CBD in it. 
And that brings us back to the conversation about how hemp CBD isn't necessarily as effective as whole plant THC cannabis CBD. But if you want more information than that, please visit our previous episode where we get into that in more detail. But going back to the hemp that China is going to be importing, it's going to cause cannabis to start to seem less criminal. And the benefits of hemp will sort of bleed over into the fact that they're essentially the same plant, just with some molecular differences. And that's going to become clear, that it's really all about education on the different aspects of both plants. But hemp is going to open the door for the conversation of cannabis, because once people start to realize the multitude of uses of hemp, they're going to be more open to the potential uses of cannabis. Couldn't have said it better. So now we're going to touch on something that I find very interesting because we were just in Vegas at MJ BizCon. So as you know, Nevada legalized cannabis. And since then, Vegas has sort of taken on uh, being where Colorado was kind of the poster child being the first state to legalize. Vegas, because of its party background, has sort of taken on um, that carefree aspect of using cannabis and it being really no big deal. So we're seeing what's possible out of Vegas in terms of what other states could experience with similar legislation. Planet 13, which is a retail facility in Vegas, touts preliminary 2019 revenue at 63 million U.S. and 695,000 visitors. Planet 13 Holdings, a leading vertically integrated Nevada cannabis company, today announced a strong end to 2019. The company served approximately 695,000 customers in 2019 at an average ticket of above $90 from the Planet 13 Las Vegas Cannabis Entertainment Complex, also known as the, quote, Superstore. In addition, although quarter four is a seasonally slower period in Las Vegas with lower overall tourist traffic, Planet 13 successfully delivered a record average ticket of $100 during December. At the time of our public listing, we targeted 2,000 customers per day on average and a $75 U.S. ticket. In 2019, we far exceeded these targets with an approximately 1,900 customers per day and an average ticket of over $90, driving approximately $63 million in preliminary unaudited revenue, making Planet 13 one of the largest revenue generators in the public cannabis sphere said Bob Grossbeck, co-CEO of Planet 13. We hosted over 1 million visitors during the year while setting the foundation for continued growth in 2020 and beyond with a new restaurant and customer-facing production facility opened in quarter four at the Superstore and with our Santa Ana location on track to open in the second half of 2020. Mr. Grossbeck continued from that quote, saying the Superstore is Nevada's highest grossing and most influential dispensary with over 9% of Nevada's total sales in 2019. It is proving to be a powerful engine, both for third-party and in-house brand launches and development. During the year, we introduced four new in-house brands, two vapes and two edibles, 
that have been well received by customers. These brands drive revenue and margin at the superstore. We see an even bigger opportunity to leverage the growing value of these brands into third-party dispensaries in Nevada. As we look forward to 2020, we are focused on increasing our share of the Nevada market by entering the wholesale market, opening the first superstore concept outside of Nevada, and by continuing to focus on innovation and providing the highest quality cannabis entertainment and shopping experience on the planet. During quarter four, Planet 13 opened phase two of the superstore, adding a restaurant in late October and a customer-facing production facility in November to what was already the top-grossing publicly reporting dispensary in America. Planet 13's two new edible brands, Dreamland Chocolates and Ha Ha Gummies, were introduced at MJ Biz with purchases starting December 10th, 2019. So Vegas knows how to handle issues like alcohol, gaming, and cannabis, obviously, as we're seeing from this article. They are a great example of how to roll out a state cannabis legalization program and have it work well. Not to say that everything goes well all the time because there was a shooting outside Planet 13 in 2018, but they've come a long way since then. It seems that a few bumps in the road, whether in Vegas or Canada, are just part of the progress with any cannabis legislation plan going into effect. The key is to mitigate as many risks as possible from the start and then be highly proactive in regards to making the necessary adjustments of those growing pains. Makes me want to move to Vegas. (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot of our listeners probably feel exactly the same way. Mm -hmm. If you look at those numbers, uh, they had 695,000 visitors the, in Canada, they had 740,000 visitors, but the, in Vegas, they spent twice as much, ending up at 63 million compared to the 29 million in Canada. When you look at the conversions, they actually spent almost three to four times as much because that would have been $40 roughly Canadian versus the $90 American. So uh, whether it's people on vacation. It's a party town too, right? So it's a little bit different. And perhaps they feel, uh, well, just like we have learned from psychology, once people have spent money already, they're far more likely to continue spending money. Right. And when people go to Vegas, they're already in the mindset of spending money. And partying, and, and there is no stigma attached to it in Vegas, so it just... Because essentially everything goes there. Yes. So I think that's maybe why uh, they saw such huge success, because in Vegas, people just... Everything that happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Hopefully. <laughs> So now we're going to move to the global aspect of our conversation for today and discuss Europe's first cannabis fund on a stock exchange. And this article comes from Purpose Investment. Greg Taylor, the CIO of Purpose Investments, tells Proactive London how he wants to capture the growth potential of the global cannabis industry following his inception and management of a similar cannabis equity fund model in Canada. Taylor explains how Purpose is the first in Europe to complete a listing in Germany, which happened last week, and will list in London later this week. Taylor intends to bring lessons learned from the Canadian experience to bear in Europe, hence this being a passive fund, rebalanced quarterly. 
So this is a little bit outside of the scope of what we normally talk about, but I feel that it's really important because it's demonstrating the forward progression that's happening in Europe on a very consistent basis. So the investment in cannabis is quite a neat trick that some governments, stock markets, and investment companies seem to be balancing. Because while cannabis is not federally legal, uh, lots of U.S. citizens and companies are invested in cannabis companies. So the publicly traded companies, even Planet 13, some of the companies based in California, are publicly traded. So people can continue to invest in those on the stock market. So they're in the cannabis industry while it's not federally legal. And just to complicate things a little bit further, there are several lawsuits that are based in the U.S. of U.S. investors suing Canadian companies because they feel that they were misled uh, regarding the background of the company and the price and the value. So it's U.S. investors who invested in Canadian stocks and now they are suing from the U.S. into Canada to sue a Canadian company. And that's, I bring that up because I just want everyone to understand how ridiculous and complex the whole issue is. As more countries legalize, this won't be an issue anymore. But because we're at this very unique time in our collective global history of legalization of cannabis, we're seeing these somewhat ludicrous moments where a U.S. investor who technically, legally, probably isn't supposed to be investing in a cannabis company is suing said company that's not even based in the U.S. It's funny how these are all, all these funny little things are coming uh, forward in the in the media right now. Um, I think you reviewed something about Australia today that while you can have plants, you're not allowed to. Yes, you're allowed to grow and you're allowed to use, but you're not allowed to purchase or sell, which brings the question to mind, well, if you're allowed to grow it, but you can't buy it, do you have to get someone to just give you your starting material? How do you get your seeds if you can't legally buy it, but you can legally grow it? And uh, legally use it. The whole thing is it, just very, and, and that's not just Australia, uh, Italy is in the same boat. They recently decriminalized and allow cannabis use. But again, you can't buy it or sell it. Yeah, it's interesting. Where do you get your seeds and or clones to get started if you're not allowed to buy and sell? Which means you have to get it from someone who already has it. But what by them giving it to you, that's illegal. Mm -hmm. And then you giving it to someone else to help them, also illegal. Mm -hmm. It's a very confusing system, which is why I wish more nations would work towards a plan of legalization that just clarifies all of these rules because it's just going to get the citizens into hot water unnecessarily it'll unfold um like these are all growing pains and it will it'll settle out all, all these things will shake out and and the rules will be made and and it'll all but I'd hate to think of the people who get caught in the moments. Oh, I know. Yeah. where you know they technically did something wrong but the rules were kind of stacked against them when cannabis is, is a plant that could help so many. So a lot of people would end up in that situation because they were just trying to give someone a plant that they needed 
for right. them to learn to cultivate. And then some people can't cultivate because they don't live somewhere where that's an option, or they can't grow their own medicine because they don't know how, or they don't have a green thumb, or they can't grow with children in the house. Like there's all these scenarios in which it doesn't work for people to just cultivate their own. And yet that's the only option they have. Yeah. So just to go back to the article, Europe has a few countries that are medically legal and legal to grow, but as we said, not purchase or sell. So the fact that they are expanding cannabis stocks and options in the stock markets of Europe is an indication of what's to come, which is legalization, because as we discussed with the U.S., it's a bit of an oxymoron to be able to invest in a cannabis company, but you can't legally use cannabis in your state or your city or your home. So when we see these nuances of what's acceptable to invest in, but not acceptable to participate in, in my opinion, and correct me if I, if you disagree, but I think that that's just writing on the wall of legalization being somewhat imminent. I agree. It's the toe in the door. It, it's absolutely. Yeah. It's like the hemp to the THC cannabis, yes. the CBD to the THC. Yes. Yeah. It's a tidal wave. It's a tsunami. It can't be stopped. It's it's going to happen. And we're seeing trickling effects or yes. waves happening here, but ultimately it's all pointing in the same direction. So that's our conversation for today. Uh, and we're so pleased to have introduced Euphoria Cannabis to you. So if you have any questions about that or about anything that we discussed today, please feel free to reach out. Otherwise, we will talk to you next week with our next episode. Have you met Mary Jane? Thanks so much for listening. If you have any questions about today's topics or the cannabis industry in general, feel free to send an email to jewel at cwcultivations.com. That's C-W-C-U-L-T-I-V-A-T-I-O-N-S.com.